Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Programming Professional. I am your host, Chris Franklin. Okay, what is today's topic? Today we're going to talk about how boring your tech stack should actually be. Oh, I can hear you groaning now. Why in the world would I want to make a boring tech stack? I go to work to work on exciting things. So full disclaimer, I am a polyglot. I love learning new languages. I love spending time practicing those new languages. When I do my coding kata, I'm doing it in languages that I don't work with at work. I'm, I'm working in Golang. I don't do that at work. I'm working in Rust. I don't get to do that at work. Those are fun languages to play with, but I don't do them at work. Why? Because it's dangerous. So learning new tech is a great way to advance your career. And so we'll start by talking about that. It's wonderful to have those things on your resume, to be able to open new career opportunities and to be able to walk in to uh, uh, meetups and all of these various groups that talk about these new languages. You can socialize, you can expand your network. It's great for your career. It's a wonderful way to advance your career. And that goes equally the same for new tech stacks that are outside of languages. Things like learning how to use Reddit, how to use uh, uh, Redis or, um, or any of these technologies, Kubernetes or AWS, familiarizing yourself with these things. Even if you don't use them in your day-to-day life, it can be a really, really good skill set to add to your resume. But you can't get carried away. You might fall in love with one of these languages and decide, I have to use this at work. I need to build my next service in Golang. I need to build this driver in Rust. I need to do something with one of these languages. But there's a risk, okay? Your entire job is to solve the problems of your business. The company that you work for, they hired you to solve their problems, not to scratch an itch that you have. Okay, so how do you solve their problems? You have to know and understand the problem space, and you have to be able to solve it in a way that is monitorable, easily deployed, is reliable, isn't going to cause bugs just by using a technology that's three weeks old. These kinds of things are required for most businesses. They want to make money, and the best way to make money is to use technology that is 100% reliable. That's not to say that all of these old technologies are 100% reliable. There are bugs that are still found, even in things like HTTPS, SSL, those, those kinds of things still have bugs found in them. But if you're reinventing those technologies because you think it'll be cool, you're going to be introducing a whole lot more problems. And you're going to be, at the very least, slowing down the time to market for your company. And that's actually counter to what you're paid to do. All right. So working in new technology is very, very risky. And why is it risky? There are two things that we talk about when we're dealing with technology. Those are the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. All right. Uh, An example of each just to kind of familiarize yourself with what these concepts mean if you've never heard them before. Uh, A known unknown is something like what is going to happen to my database when I saturate the CPU to 100 percent? How is the system going to behave? I know this is something that I don't know, 
And the only way I'm going to be able to test it is to actually peg the CPU and see what happens. Those are known unknowns. Then there are things called unknown unknowns. If we're using a language like Java or Golang or any other garbage collected language, let's say that we introduce an APM agent to monitor that technology, okay? We're trying to monitor that service. We're trying to see how is it behaving. But we run into an unexpected problem. Adding in that APM agent now is suddenly spin, is spinning up uh, garbage collection pauses. Why? Because now we're collecting all of these stats, we're bundling them up, we're sending them off, and now we're having to come through and our, our GC is having to sweep that uh, collected stats away. We didn't know that was going to happen. It was unexpected. We didn't think it would happen. If you're working in a brand new technology, you have a lot more of those unknown unknowns than you do known unknowns. You don't know what you don't know. You don't have any idea what is going to come up. And that's the risk of introducing that new technology. Okay, it has far more unknown unknowns than known unknowns. I know that's a tongue twister, but hopefully you're sticking with me on this. So there's this concept in the industry of using the best tool for the job. Oh, what is the best tool for this job? All right. I take a big issue with this. I tend to think that you should be using a good enough tool for the job. If you can get the job done and you can get more jobs done with a single tool, use it. If you can write everything in Node.js and everyone you have working for you is a Node developer or a JavaScript developer, use it. There's no reason not to. Sure, there might be some edge cases where JavaScript is not the best language. It's not great for CPU intensive services. We know that. But how many of your services are going to be CPU intensive? Most of them are going to be bound by your IO. They're going to be limited by the amount of bandwidth you can actually push through that service. And let me tell you something, JavaScript is really good at, at IO bound services. So don't be afraid to use it in Node.js. All right. You have to actually run the software. We like to call that term operations or the new term is DevOps because developers are now operations peoples. And the more pieces of technology you have in your stack, the harder it is to be an operations guy. You don't know what you're going to run into when you're deploying a service in a language you've never used before. And if you're a dedicated DevOps guy or a dedicated operations guy, and your entire job is to run other teams' services, let me tell you, you're not going to be happy when team comes at you and throws Erlang your way. And you're like, what the hell is this? How am I supposed to use this? Or Haskell or, or any of these other languages. You don't know how to run that. You're a Java shop or you're a Node.js shop or, or something like that traditionally. Developers tend to throw these things at you without you understanding why. And if you're a developer, don't do that. Don't introduce these complications just because you think it will be cool. All right? If you ever introduce a tech because you think it's going to be cool, trust me, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. You're going to run into problems that you never expected to run into. All right. And that's just the risk that you're taking by doing that. You can get really, really far by sticking 
to a boring tech stack. You want to run on one server type. Uh, we've traditionally run on Elastic Beanstalk using EC2 instances in AWS, okay? It's served us extremely well for years. We use one database, PostgreSQL, and that's a fantastic database to pick. It's been around forever. It's boring, but it's reliable. It does what we want it to do. We're not introducing the te a technology that might break, okay? Caching mechanisms. Choose one that has been around for a while. Use Redis or Memcached. Pick one of those and just stick with it. Pick one language, okay? A language that's going to serve you best. Don't pick a language because it's cool. Don't use Rust because you think it's an awesome language. By the way, I think it's an awesome language. It's fun to work in. It's super low level, and it's much better than C and C++, in my opinion. But don't pick it because you think it's cool. Pick it because you can hire people to work in that. Pick it because it's reliable, because you know what the problems are going to be when you run it, okay? Those are the kinds of things that you should be taking into account. Now, that's not to say you can't introduce new technology into your tech stack. All right? There are going to be a lot of cases where you need to do something new. Let's say you're a Java shop. You do everything in Java, but now you need a web front end. Do you want to write that in Java? As someone who has written JSP, you probably don't want to do that in Java. It sucks. You probably want, or want to write a dedicated front end to interface with your back end. Maybe you want to use a JavaScript framework. Maybe you want to use static HTML. Maybe you want to use a Ruby stack. Who knows what you want to use? That's entirely up to you and your team. But make it a team decision and make sure you understand all the risks that you're going to be taking. Don't just introduce new technology for the sake of introducing it. Okay? So I want to give you a couple of real-world examples of when to introduce new technology and when to not. Because you will sometimes need to bring in new tech. So as I mentioned before, we use Elastic Beanstalk for a lot of our tech stack in the current company I work at. And Elastic Beanstalk has been great to get things up and running quickly, and it has served us well for five years. We have been running with absolutely no problems. We can scale out and handle a lot of traffic. The problem we're running into is cost. It's expensive to run dedicated services on Elastic Beanstalk. And so after examining a lot of technologies, we decided we're going to migrate everything that we have currently running in Elastic Beanstalk to Docker containers and run them on a Kubernetes cluster. Now, let me tell you, this is a huge lift. It's taking a bunch of guys who are used to just deploying service bundles out to Elastic Beanstalk and now teaching them how to use both Docker and Kubernetes. It's a lot to put on to our developers, but it's worth it. Because in the first four months of running this, we've cut costs by over 40% just by making this migration. We weren't using all of the CPUs on the Elastic Beanstalk instances. Most of those, as I mentioned before, were I.O. bound. So they weren't saturating the CPUs. They weren't saturating memory. They were saturating the bandwidth of the machines. And we found a way through Kubernetes to run the same amount of traffic through a significantly smaller number of machines. And it works really, really, really well. But there was 
this huge learning curve and it was a very risky decision for us to make, but we made it as a company. All the developers in the company got together and decided this was the direction we should go. And we thoroughly explored the idea before we ever implemented it. And now we have new problems that we didn't run into on Elastic Beanstalk, but we've also gotten rid of some of the problems that we did run into on Elastic Beanstalk. So it's trade-offs, but we're learning these new problems and we're bringing them into the space of known unknowns. But that's something that we knew we were going to have to do, and we took that risk. Another case is we had one of our feature teams decided they wanted to use MongoDB for one of their services. They thought it would be much easier than using Postgres. And they were right. It would have been easier for that particular service since it dealt with a NoSQL style data structure, which was completely amorphous and could change shape based off of who was using it and what they were doing. And you could make that work inside of Postgres, but it took a lot of tables and it took a lot of schema design to make it happen. So they wanted to bring in MongoDB. So we looked at hosted MongoDB solutions and we priced everything out to bring this in. And as a team, we decided cost prohibitive, way too expensive. And it introduced a lot of unknowns into the stack that we were not quite prepared for. We didn't know how to run MongoDB we didn't know how, what interactions with other services were going to cause problems. We didn't know what the bottlenecks were going to be. We didn't know how much throughput we could put through it. We didn't know all of those things, and it was way too risky. So we sat down as architects with this team and helped them design their schema for Postgres, and they've been super happy with it since. But again, team decision. We all sat down. We all came to that decision because... We want to keep our tech stack boring. Keeping it boring is what makes sure we don't have major outages. And we haven't had major outages recently because our tech stack is extremely stable. The only problems we've had have been coming in from introducing changes to our existing uh, services. And that's coder error and not catching bugs as they come through, and none of them have been major. They've all been minor bugs. And those things will still get through, and if that's all that's getting through, you're doing a damn good job, okay? So make sure you pick a technology that's been around for far more than a year. You will thank yourself later. Okay, that's all I have for today. So thank you for listening to The Programming Professional. Again, I'm Chris Franklin. If you have any questions, you want to hear any specific topics, uh, then just shoot me an email. Uh, You can contact me at me, M-E, at chris-franklin.com. I'm also opening uh, for mentoring if that's something that interests you. So please shoot me an email. I look forward to having you listen again in the future. Thanks. Bye.